0: My name is David J. Harris Jr. Join me and millions of Americans around the country as we embrace liberty and freedom. This is the David J. Harris Jr. Show. Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends from around the country and literally around the world, this is another episode with your host, David J. Harris Jr. and today, friends, I have the pleasure and the honor of having a very good friend of mine on the show with me today. He's also a very close personal friend of President Donald Trump. In his new book, Nothing to Lose, he breaks down some of the specifics of when Donald Trump decided to run for president. He talks about when he, when he, when he was thinking about running for president back in 2012, and uh, we, he gets into a whole heck of a lot more as well. Without any further ado, my good friend, Pastor Daryl Scott. Daryl, my brother, how are you doing today?
1: Good, man. God bless you. Thank you for allowing me to grace your platform.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. It's it's an honor and a privilege to have you on. Uh, I've got to do several events with you. I've got to see you uh, champion this president like no other, especially in the black community, especially pastors uh, in the black community. So many of them, I think, are afraid to come out and actually speak the truth but uh, you have not been afraid. You've openly and boldly declared your support for this president, but it didn't happen overnight. And, and that's why I'm, I've just started to get into your new book, Nothing to Lose, which just dropped on Amazon. Everybody needs to go get Daryl's book, Pastor Daryl Scott's book, Nothing to Lose. But you actually talk about some of the, some of the points in there uh, that I think a lot of people don't know about uh, all the way to your very first statement. I love your very first question that you asked the president, uh, well then, Donald Trump. When he was when he was deciding whether or not he was going to run, uh, you didn't hold anything back. But let me let me rewind a little bit because I want people to know a little bit about you as well. You know, people see pastors and they they see him on stage or they see him preaching, and you travel the country, the world literally, and speak and preach. But you haven't always been a golden child, a golden boy. You had a pretty rough upbringing yourself. You want to talk about that for a minute?
1: Well, you know, I lived that street life, and it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I gravitated towards that at a young age, and You know I was out there but to me it was nothing unusual to me the the straight life was unusual you know we were out there and and my colleagues so to speak my circle of associates was I don't know murderers thieves uh, robbers burglars pimps prostitutes to me that was normal uh, a normal way of life that was the, the world I was in and you know we had a nightclub back in this late 70s and It was Cleveland's version of Studio 54, a black version of it. And so, you know, that was just the life that I gravitated to. And I just thank God that he he got me out of that life very suddenly and very unexpectedly. The Lord got me out of it.
0: Well, I'm appreciative of that as well. You know, I come from a pretty it wasn't it wasn't inner city roughneck. It was a small town in Northern California. But we had our if you want to call them gangs, that's what they were. But uh, I definitely ran, ran with some roughneck people and did my share of selling drugs and and lived that party life. And I'm, I am, too, also thankful that and suddenly uh, God pulled me out of it. And, and I really think that we need that right now more than anything, more than these Black Lives Matter movement protests, all this stuff. We need a movement of God to actually wake people up and hit them like they hit like he hit you and hit me. Yeah,
1: hey, you're absolutely right. And I thank God for The fact that, you know, I I wound up in church one night, you know, and I wound up giving my life to the Lord. And I had a lot of godly influences around me from the very beginning after I gave my life to the Lord to help keep me in that narrow way and help stabilize me in my faith until I was strong enough to make my way on my own. And that's what seems to be lacking these days. You know, when I got saved, it's been almost 40 years now, but the preachers were not afraid to call sin, sin and right, right and wrong, wrong. Whereas today you have a number of preachers, especially on the left, on the left. that refuse to yeah. call sin sin. They let society dictate their message rather than allow their message to dictate to society. And that's what I think is lacking in today's church world. I talk about it a lot in the book. Once again, my interactions in the church and with my colleagues and and their activity regarding this presidential administration, this time that we are now, and a lot of them. Uh, you know, my opinion is a lot of them are not leaders. That's what's wrong. The Bible says the blind lead the blind, and they all fall in the ditch, and they're wells without water, empty cisterns. A lot of them are not leaders. They're simply managers, because if you are a leader, you have to have a certain degree of fearlessness. You have to have courage, and you have to have the boldness to, uh, to lead and to cover and protect uh, your flock. But these, these um, preachers today are more interested in brand building. Than they are in kingdom building, and so it is what it is.
0: It is very true. It's very sad to see. Um, you know, there's been there's some mega church pastors that are out there right now uh, on that seemingly are on the left. It's almost like there's a line being co- drawn in the sand for spiritual leaders, for pastors, to actually say, what are they going to choose? Are they going to choose the identity crisis and call it racism and say that the church is racist and that we got to repent? or are they gonna call the identity crisis what it is, and it's a lack of knowing our our Father God, it's a lack of knowing our identity in Him, Uh, it's interesting to see what's taking place. But there's definitely a shaking, I believe, taking place in churches all across the country.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. When I was coming up, you know, we were told to deal with the sin issue. Now these preachers, I would rather deal with the skin issue. And if you settle the sin issue, then the skin issue will automatically be settled as a result and so we have so many of these preachers they they value party over principle and they abdicate or abrogate their moral precepts and principles for the sake of social uh endeavors and social uh activity they they allow society to dictate their message rather than they dictate their message to society and it's sad to me, it's a part of that great falling away that the Bible speaks about in the book of Thessalonians. It's part of that apostasy. A large segment of the church is apostatized. But there's still a remnant. And as long as there's one believer in America, God is obligated to look out for America. He told um, he told lot. I cannot judge Sodom until I get you out of here. So as long as there are some believers in America, then God's hand is still on America. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for that fact.
0: And that's great for everybody, including non-believers, because if you if you believe in, uh, you know, the creator of the universe, the, the God of the Bible, then you've got to, you know, you understand. But even for those that don't, you know, because of those faithful, faithful believers that do believe God's grace and mercy will be on this country. Uh, a good friend of mine, Mario Murillo, said uh, he said, God will survive without America, but America will not survive without God. And the absolute attack and onslaught that we're seeing from the left, from politicians on the left, even now from Black Lives Matter, they're chanting, F your Jesus. I don't know if you saw that clip or not, but they're literally now uh, taking on Jesus. And this is a Marxist movement. Uh, There's an there's an all out assault and attack. And it seems like those on the left, they're not too concerned about that. It seems like they're okay with it.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of black pastors need to be ashamed of themselves for aligning themselves with an organization and a platform that would chant something like that. You understand what I'm saying? They they need to be ashamed oh, yeah. of themselves. They need to repent before their congregation for even aligning themselves with that movement and they need to disconnect from it as much as possible because you know and you know you know what I see in society these days it actually began to me under the Obama administration. Society is not yes. anti-religion. And society is not so much anti-God as they are anti-Christ. Anti-Christian religion isn't under attack in America. Christianity is under attack in America, uh, and th- this this nation is not anti-God. If you if your version of God is whatever your subjective surmising[s] are. Uh, If you say, I want to worship a rock or a tree, they'll respect that. But when you say, I want to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, now they have a problem. And that just shows you that the spirit of Antichrist, James said in this book, that spirit of Antichrist now is, and that there are many Antichrists, that just shows that that Antichrist spirit is released in America on an unprecedented level. And the fact that the churches in America are succumbing to that spirit and becoming more a part of the problem than they are a part of the solution for the ills of society. I don't care what anybody says, the ills of society can only be solved through Jesus Christ and him crucified. And and, and if, if Jesus Christ and him crucified is allowed to be prevalent or, or, or foremost in your life, a lot of these issues that America is dealing with, we won't have to deal with them.
0: Yeah, that's, and I'm seeing that's more and more. Than. Yeah, I know. I don't. I want to get back on the main topic. I just want to say I'm seeing a lot more believers that are being open and vocal and bold about their faith now. I'm seeing it more now than ever before. So I think there's definitely uh, there's definitely something shaking in the spirit. Now, let well, me get say, back to this. Let me, let
1: me, let, me stay there for ahead, yeah. let me stay there for a minute, because when you say you yeah. see a lot of believers being vocal, I have to be honest, the majority of the believers that you see being vocal for the cause of Christ, the cause of Christianity and the God of the Bible, our believers on the right. The believers on the left have abrogated have yes. their principles. You know, I had to take someone to task recently. You know, they were on um, social media saying, well, don't, don't, don't let anybody mislead you. You know, you can't go to hell for um, uh, aligning with, for voting a certain kind of way. And I was like, well, wait a minute, you know, you're, you're voting. If you side with the platform that murders unborn babies, if you side with the platform yeah. that's in favor of the alphabet community, then you're siding for a platform that's against the God of the Bible. And so, you know, they were, what it is, they're trying to do a balancing act on the left of endorsing anti-God and anti-Christian platforms and agendas while still retaining Christianity because they want heaven to be their eternal resting place. And you can't serve two masters. Jesus said, you either love the one or you hate the other. So I had to
0: get that in. Your words have not been spoken, my brother. Truer words. All right. In the book, you uh, Nothing to Lose. Again, everybody needs to go get that as soon as you're done listening to this or while you're listening to this podcast, uh, uh, unless you're watching it on my uh, my one of my other social platforms. Get Daryl Scott's book, Pastor Daryl Scott's book, Nothing to Lose. Get it on Amazon right now. It was just released. You share in there that the president actually considered running for president, then Donald Trump, considered running for president in 2012. And you were brought into a meeting uh, with Paula White and some others. Share a little bit about that.
1: Paula White and I go back decades and we've been very close friends for a long time. And so once she invited my wife and I to New York, York, I knew she had a residency in uh, Trump Tower. And in the book, we talk about that as well. And we went there and I thought we were meeting just with Paula, It was my wife, myself, and several other preachers that if I called their name, you would be pleasantly surprised. The only reason I haven't called their name is because they haven't said that they were in attendance there. And I don't want to be the one that has cameras up in their face asking them, were you at that meeting and why didn't you say anything? So it's up to them. But Donald Trump walks in and he said, I asked Paula, to invite some friends here that she felt was in touch with God. I'm considering mm-hmm. running for president in 2012 against Barack Obama, and I want you guys to pray for me and pray on me that God gives me the wisdom to make the right decision. And I said, wow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Donald Trump, I, I didn't know we were meeting with him. I thought we, I was meeting with Paula. I thought he was stopping in to say hi and keep on going. We got uh, out of our seats. We prayed for him. No one got their cell phones out and recorded it and made it a social media event. People weren't as social media savvy as they are now back in 2011. That's almost 10 years ago. And um, we prayed with him and we prayed for him. And apparently now, and I'm just going to use my sanctified imagination right here. Apparently, God talked to Donald Trump and told him, hey, Donald, don't run in 2012. Wait till 2016 and I got you. Wow. (laughs) I should have put that in the book because he did run in 2012. He did run in 2016 and he won against overwhelming odds.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, I don't know that it's ever happened or anybody could even conceive of something like that happening in today's day and age where somebody that's completely outside of politics goes and takes on the complete political establishment. He wasn't supported by either sides and and wins and wins dominantly uh i don't know that that uh i don't know that anything like that could happen again maybe he set a new precedent it's going to be interesting to see after this next election and and after the next one but um now tell everybody because he constantly is getting and i'm constantly trying to expose on my show on my podcast there the mainstream media's narrative that donald trump is a racist they've been harping on that pounding on that drum for years before the election and then after he won, they just, they just ramped it up. Um, what was the very first question when you finally had the opportunity to talk to then Donald Trump candidate, what was the very first thing you said to him?
1: The very first thing I said to Donald Trump was, what makes you think black people will vote for you? Word on the street is, you're a racist. And I looked him right <laughs> in his eye and said, and he didn't blink, he didn't bat an eye. He, he, he looked wow. me right back in my eye and said, man, I'm about the least racist person you ever want to meet in your life. In my line of work, doing what I do, I have to work with all walks of all types of people in all walks of life. I couldn't be a racist and do what I do. And then he was done with it. He didn't try to convince me otherwise. He didn't stop pandering and telling me about his black friend in the third grade and, and some black dude he used to know. He didn't do any of that. And you know what? It caused me to ask myself a question. If somebody came to me and said, you don't like white people, how would I respond? I would say, no, I, I have some white people I don't like, but I, like, I don't dislike white people. But I wouldn't <laughs> start trying to stereotypically pantomime and pander and, and quote-unquote act white to convince white people that I liked white people. And, you know, they want right. Donald Trump to do something that he's not going to do. He's not going to pander. He's not going to try to start acting black or using black terminology or black vernacular. You know, a lot of what people say is racist is not racist, it's cultural. He's a 74-year-old white man from Queens, New York. He's not about to turn his hat backwards, sag his blue jeans, and start bumping rap music to try to make us think that he he's down for the black people. He is who he is. And, and it is what it is. And if you want to know the truth, yeah. watch this. Donald Trump was a hip-hop icon prior to yes, he was. him running for president i mean i remember riding oh, yeah. we were riding to detroit and you know he's if you know him he's a stats guy he's a numbers guy that's what he is and being a developer you can see that because he always has costs and expenses in his head and he told me he said you know i'm on 21 i'm on 21 rap cds he knew just how many rap <laughs> cds he was featured on right but when you think about it he knew it, the number when you think about it Donald Trump has been a major influence on the hip hop community, and the hip hop community has been an influence on Donald Trump as well. And when you think about it, when I say this, Trump acts black. Now watch what I mean when I say this. He acts like a product of the hip hop urban community. What do they do? They got Mm. that swag. They talk smack. They got the money, they got the blue, they got the cars, they got the luxury, they got the women, they got that, that and that's what he was, he was living that black life. Yeah, <laughs> that hip-hop life. <laughs> he was one of the few that could walk in both worlds. He could walk in the white establishment business world, but he could walk and also walk in the black anti-establishment hip-hop world, and he was accepted in both worlds. But every four years, yeah. the the Democratic Party plays this game called "pin the racist on the Republican," and they stuck it on him, and um, they're still trying to make it stick. But the Black community is waking up to that, and everybody can see that it was all a big uh, a big facade.
0: Yeah, they are. They are. I love that story in the book, and uh, you know, you broke down. Some, you, you, there's so much in there that I uh, that I already have read that I love. But I love how you word it. I love the way your writing style is. Again, friends, if you haven't already, make sure when you're done listening to this or watching this, you go to Amazon and get Pastor Daryl Scott's book, Nothing to Lose. Uh, it's a it's an amazing inside peek into Donald Trump before he became president, and even Donald Trump after uh, now that he's become president. And then next, uh, Pastor Daryl, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, some of the things that maybe didn't quite make the book. I know when I wrote my book. Uh, you know, why I couldn't stay silent. There were certain things that just didn't make the book. I'm sure you have that too. Uh, I'm going to be right back to ask you that. First, we're going to have a word (laughs) from my sponsor for today's show. Friends, if you want to feel your best self ever, literally, I feel so good every single day. The small business that my wife and I started, uncorkedliving.com has products that you're going to love. This uncorked juice, this is better than Gatorade. It's better than coffee, tea, tea, it's filled with five super fruits, all high in antioxidants, anti, anti uh, aging benefits, and it fills your mind with mental clarity, focus, and energy. comes in a little packet. You just put it in your bottle of water and drink it. Uh, if you have a hard time resting at, might, qu- at night, quieting your mind, Dream will do that for you. I take this literally every single night because sometimes it's hard to just shut my mind down. Uh, this, this sets your mind uh, at ease, it relaxes your muscles and gets you ready to go to a good night's sleep. And I get a great night's sleep every night. Detox Plus, I also take this every night. This cleanses your gallbladder, your liver, and your colon. And this helps keep you regular. We have amazing results and testimonials from ladies and guys that uh, no more bloating, constipation, all that stuff. It just it keeps you regular. And then Interlean. This is a metabolism booster that helps you lose weight without really having to even try It revs up uh, your, your body's metabolism, which is the rate your body naturally burns stored body fat. So use the code David, go to uncorkedliving.com today, and you'll be supporting my platform and my Bride and eyes small business. All right. And now back with Pastor Daryl Scott. I know there had to be some things, Daryl, that did not make it in the book. What could you share with us, if you can, some of the things that you were maybe going to put in that didn't quite make it Ah, uh, there's so much good stuff in it, but what uh, what's one thing that maybe sticks out that didn't make it?
1: I'm trying to think because, to be quite honest, a lot of the things that didn't make it can't make it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I've had a lot of private conversations with the president. Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of jokes that. Um, that uh, my favorite one, you know, I, I didn't put it in the book because. All right. Um, I'm almost afraid to share it here um i can't i can't do i you know got why? i got a, I got a tiny audience i'll tell, tell, tell you that story in private but i don't know it's <laughs> just you know it's a lot of different conversations that he and i've had that i will keep them between us um but there are a lot of things i think you know you, you once again like you say you try to think what to what to include and what not to include And, you know, a lot of things you thought were just your day to day and it really didn't have significance at the time until you look back on it and you realize how significant it is. I like the fact that I I like one thing I remember the um, uh, one thing I didn't say was, you know, when we went up there for the very first time, uh, I don't know if I include this in the book or not. It just shows you an insight into Donald Trump. We went up there for the very first time after he got elected, he got inaugurated on January 23rd. On February 1st, we had an event at the White House, and there were just a few of us there that had been with him from the very beginning. I'm talking about from 2015. Mm. Some of us that were with him, if he was going to run in 2012, because I was going to be with him then. And he had us, uh, we all went over to the office, and he said, close the door, close the door. And we closed the door, and it was Keith Schiller, Omarosa, um Jared Kushner, myself, my wife, wow. a couple of more people were there, and after we closed the door, he looked around and he said, can y'all believe it? Can you believe this? And we looked around and I think that's when it all just sunk in, you know, the enormity wow. and the magnitude of where we are and who he now was. You know what I mean? Uh, it, yeah. it sunk in wow. that time. I don't, I don't know if I included it, but he said, can you believe it? Can you believe we did it? We did it. And so that's something that stood out. And then some other things I couldn't put in the book just personal. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I was trying to get any little nugget I could. You
1: know, I, Donald Trump is a uh, great, great, great guy. And he has a great, great sense of humor. He's he's just as funny in private as he is in public. And he's a great court holder. He likes the whole court. He's yes. probably the master court holder. It is. Really? But, you know, there was so many other things. His concern for the African-American community. I didn't want to try to overstate it. I didn't want to understate it, but he has a genuine concern for the, all the communities in America. But with me being black, he would express his concern towards the African-American community more so, more so to me. I mean, I, I, don't, I would expect him to share with me his concerns for the Irish community, for the, the Scottish right. community. You know, He would share his concerns for the African-American community, and it's genuine. He's a great yeah. guy.
0: Well, I feel that every time I've met him um, nine or 10, 10 times now. I've been in the Oval Office once. Uh, it's amazing in there. And uh, he's always just got a big smile. It's like he's enjoying it, even though he is getting rolled. He's getting raked over the coals by the mainstream media, by the lying Democrats, politicians are nonstop lying against him. But it's not, it's like it just bounces off of him. I mean, I think it's all the prayers or so many people praying for him. Uh, Do you think it gets to him at certain points or do you think that he just he takes it in stride because he sees the bigger picture?
1: Well, let me go back real quick. Then I'll come to that because you just said something when you said you were in the Oval Office one time. It brought something else funny to my mind. I remember I remember the National Day of Prayer uh, back in 2017, a little bit after he got elected. And I had called up ahead of time and told him I needed to see him for a few minutes uh, during that time because I was going to pitch the idea for a race summit to him. And so right, the ceremony was in the Rose Garden. Right after that, Matlin, who was the secretary, then she came and got me, said, the president said, you can come see him right now real quick. And it was right after the event in the Rose Garden. So myself and Kareem, you know Kareem, Kareem and I went into the Oval Office, and my wife was with me, and we were in there. And so while we're sitting in the Oval Office, you know the windows that are right there, they look right out into the Rose Garden. Yep. (laughs) I can't help it. Trump kills me, man. He cracks me up. When we got in there, he said, the first thing he said was, look, look out there. See all them people out there? They wish they were in here. They're not in here. You are. (laughs) He said, you guys are in here. They're out there. They wish they were in here. And, you know, they were out there looking looking in the window, like, who's in there with him? (laughs) It was just funny. You had to be there. And I said, this guy has a stream of consciousness that I wish I had. You know, but it was just funny to me for him to even see that way. He said, "You look out there, see all those people
0: out there. They wish they weren't here, but they're not in here. You are." <laughs> well, that he, is true because I rose man. garden. I've been to the rose garden several times, and i we've been able to see the president in the Oval Office when we're when everybody's always like, "Who's in there? Who's he? With? Who's he with?" He and you can't. Because you, can't you guy, in there, so I'm for him to enjoy the moment and help you enjoy and appreciate the moment. I think that just speaks to the the heart and character of who he is. uh, He kills me. He
1: kills me. He's one of those guys, man. Almost everything he does is humorous to me, even when he's not being humorous. He kills me. A, A lot of people don't understand him. I think I do. And because I think I do, it makes me appreciate him even more. And, you know, he gets a lot of criticism, like you said. You wonder if it gets to him. But the thing people have to understand, Donald Trump has never worked for anyone else in his life. He's always Mm. been his own boss, so he's always been used to being in a leadership position. As a result, it somewhat prepared him for this. I never forget, and I didn't include this in the book, I never forget when my wife and I, I went into business for myself. I've been self-employed since 1980 for 85, 35 years I've been my own boss. And I'll never forget when I, my wife and I were with a sister who went to the church with us. And I said to her one time, when well, we just started our own business. And she said then, she said, God had you start this business to prepare you to be a pastor one day. Now, at that time, I hadn't been saved but a year or two. I was just trying wow. to focus on coming to church every week, let alone being a pastor. And it wasn't until I began pastoring that I remember those words. Donald Trump's business experience prepared him for being president. So as the CEO of the Trump organization, all the disgruntled employees, all the people he had to fire, all the people that didn't like him, it kind of prepared him and readied him for this moment. I do believe when he goes and lays his head on his pillow at night, that he does ask God for direction. He does ask God, he does second guess himself sometimes, but he's smart enough not to second guess himself in public. And he's smart, smart enough not to let them see him sweat. It's one thing he's not going to do. And as a good leader, as a good leader, see, even when they're criticizing him about his uh, COVID response, you know, people that have never led people, people that have never led people shouldn't be able to criticize people who have led people. I've been leading people for 26 years. So every decision that I make, I have to make with my congregation in mind. And if COVID had got released in my congregation, I would have intentionally endeavored to keep the peace as much as possible and deal with it without causing my congregation to panic. And with him, with America being his congregation, so to speak, he did what was right. We we were taught that if you if there's a fire somewhere, you don't want to yell, fire! And everybody screams right. and start running for the exits. You try to have peaceful, or even though this fire has the potential to kill everyone in there, you want to have as peaceful and orderly uh, evacuation of safety as you can without inciting a panic. And I think he did a marvelous job in America of handling the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: Absolutely. I agree 100%. I mean, I know, you know what you won't hear on the mainstream media is that he went against all of his strategists, you know, all of these experts that all said, no, you don't got to close down you know, uh, entry from China in January when they just heard about it. He did it anyway. And now he didn't act fast enough. It's like, you know, they he can't do anything right if you're just listening to the liberal mainstream media news. But if you actually look and you know the facts and you see how he acted in the class in which he acted and not trying to cause panic, I think it was the right move for America. Unfortunately, now so much of our country, so many of these Democrat controlled states, I think, are using this politically to try to harm people. Don't care how many businesses aren't opening or don't open up again. Everybody's got to wear masks. You can't open a business. Uh, meanwhile your liquor stores your weed dispensaries are open uh it's pretty disgusting what we're seeing but i think it's i think again this is one of those things that's going to turn upside down on the democrats and on that liberal agenda's head uh is americans are waking up to see the hypocrisy and they're going to take that understanding into the voting booth with them
1: yeah absolutely right and you have to also understand this the response to COVID was a state-by-state issue it came down to the governors the president didn't withhold any information from governors that uh, influenced their decision. The president, he made sure that that were, the ventilators were provided. He made sure that everything that we yep. needed and that there was very aggressive uh, activity in the scientific world to try to find a cure for this. And so regardless of what he told and what he was saying was in public, I didn't want to create a panic, but in private, if you look at the measures that he took and the action that he engaged in, he was very proactive towards this virus. Yes. And once again the governors all had were privy to any information that he had and it was the governors who made the calls in their respective states to um resist this outbreak of coronavirus so you know they're always trying to stick something on president trump and and so it is what it is they're always going to say something negative about him if he have said it wasn't as bad as it was but I, I told him it was worse. They had jumped on him for that. So, you know, when you're when you're darned, if you do it, darned, if you don't, you might as well walk into your own, uh, uh, your own decision and not let people influence that. Yeah.
0: Well, I guarantee you, I guarantee stinking to you. I'm glad that it was Donald Trump making that decision and, uh, and not Hillary. And I'm glad and I hope it's Donald Trump making decisions for us these next four years and not a Joe Biden or Kamala ticket. That would just be, how, how disastrous do you think that would be? Speak to that for a minute. Uh, how disastrous do you think a Joe Biden, Kamala Harris administration would be for our country?
1: If, if we have a Joe Biden, Kamala Harris administration, I don't think we would necessarily even have a presidential administration. It would be a rule by committee. He would be a puppet. Uh, she would be a puppet because they're definitely not going to let her run this country either. And it would be ruled by a committee if Nancy Pelosi retained her place in the Senate. Her and Chuck Schumer would run this country. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Adam Schiff would run this country. And every decision would be a decision that they made, they approved, and they would use Biden as the front man for it. He has obvious cognitive mental decline. And there's nothing wrong with that. The man is almost 80 years old. He's a bit senile. He's he's like anybody else's old 80-year-old father or grandfather is. He just is not as sharp as he was before, and he doesn't have the mental capability to lead this country because he's just not as sharp. He's just not as sharp as he was. He's not as sharp as you have to be to lead this country and to make the decisions that have to be made. This guy won't even take questions from reporters. How is he going to handle dealing on the world stage?
0: Yeah, deal with other world leaders. And Kamala,
1: uh, uh, Kamala flip flops. Uh, she went up to visit the guy in jail. The guy, I mean, the guy in the hospital that got shot by the cops seven times. It was horrible. Him getting shot in the back seven times. I believe that was overblown. Yes. But don't make a bother out of this guy. The reason the cops showed right. up in the first place was in response to a 911 call because he was committing sexual assault. And so let's not be unmindful of that. And let's not be unsympathetic towards the victim of this sexual assault. And you know she's just trying right. to pander for votes. Whatever it takes to get a vote, we see that she'll do whatever it takes. She got on national television months ago and told Joe Biden to face he was a racist. And now she's turning around. The reason why they won't let them two appear in the room together is because they don't want to have to answer that uncomfortable question of, you said he was a racist before. Do you still think he's a racist now? Why did you think he was then? Why don't you think he is now? It's ridiculous
0: the, the ultimate hypocrisy of the left exposed, uh, with them. So what, what do you, what is your hope back to your book? If you haven't already got it or place the order on Amazon for nothing to lose by pastor Daryl Scott, what is your hope that everybody takes away from reading your book?
1: My hope is that y'all buy this book and I make the New York times bestseller.
0: (laughs) (laughs) list. Let's make that happen.
1: I'm just doing a shameless plug. I'm pandering. I got some hot sauce in my pocket. I'm gonna turn my hat backwards. Uh, you know, I'm gonna do whatever. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think that I hope it. I, I hope it influences Black Americans who are on the fence for Donald Trump to vote for Donald Trump. I hope it uh, gives a lot of understanding as to why I made the decision to support him that I made, and why I stuck with that decision through the years and through the hostility and. And, and through thick and thin, and it would give them a better understanding of it. And, you know, one thing I said uh, immediately after he won the election in 2016, I told my partner, Kareem, I said, now, uh, this is what one of my missions is going to be. I got to help get that racism tag off Donald Trump and I got to help get that Uncle Tom tag off of me because people don't mm. understand just because you're pro-Trump does not make you anti-black. You can can be pro-Black and pro-Trump at the same time. And I want them to be able to read this book and see, hey, this guy is pro-Trump and he's also pro-Black. And guess what? Trump is pro-Black too. I hope it changes some minds. I hope it influences this election. I hope more people will vote for Donald Trump as a result of the reading of this book and will be able to understand not only my mindset, but the mindset of a number of others that were Trump supporters when it was not popular to be a black Trump supporter. Uh, and I share some of the conversations that I have with some of them, and, and I hope it gives you a different perspective of them and see that even as we know, we ain't a bunch of Uncle Toms and Coons and Kiss Butts and Suck Ups and Brown Noses, anything but that. We are actually yeah. those that have the courage to stand by our convictions and have the vision and the foresight to see what's best for our country, and who's best for our country, and to stand by their decision in the face of hostility. You've experienced that. You know that. You're one of the ones on their front line right now uh, doing it. And you've taken your share of bullets, slings, and arrows, but you stayed strong as well. And I really believe God is going to bless us, bless our families, and bless this country as a result of our efforts. I really do.
0: Well, I truly believe that everybody, black, brown, red, white, that reads your book, they will come away with a, ba- a better and a, a, a clearer description and perspective of the man, Donald Trump. And hopefully it'll cut through the minutiae of what so many people have waddled around in their head that's come from the nonstop Kool-Aid propaganda from the left um, and, uh, and Democrat politicians. I truly believe that they will. So, Pastor Darrell, my brother, thank you so, so much for joining me today. Any final words, final thoughts you'd like to share?
1: Well, listen, thank you, man, for having me. And once again, go to Amazon.com, order the book, Nothing to Lose, Unlikely Allies in the Struggle for a Better Black America. We failed to mention that there are also a number of private conversations between myself and Michael Cohen, who was a very good friend of mine during the uh, campaign. But it shows the mindset and the thought processes and the words out of his mouth that contributed to his decision to um, to do like he did. There's some conversations with myself and Omarosa that I believe will help you understand her better, and um, I think it'll be a very great, interesting read for you. If not, David, to give you your money back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love, it. I love you, yeah, man. You and I appreciate you. It Take that to the bank. And she was lying out her behind anyway. But uh, I think you'll love the book. I think everybody will love the book, Pastor Daryl. Thank you so so much, my brother. Thank you for taking the time to write that book and to get it out and to get it out before this uh, coming election. I believe we're going to win, but it's going to take a lot of work. But I believe that your efforts are uh, going to help a long long way. So thank you so much. For joining Thanks, today. man. God and, bless you. Uh, we'll have you on again soon. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Friends, there you heard it. Get that book. You need to get it and give it to a few friends. Get like five books. Pass them around. Help spread the word. Pastor Daryl Scott breaks down so much of the absolute lies. He bulldozes right through them, and he does it with his own personal stories, his own personal experience of being around and getting to hang out with the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. So God bless you. Please share this episode. Share this podcast. Share it with 10, 15, 20 friends. Leave a review. And uh, we'll see you all uh, again next time. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. My name is David J. Harris Jr. Join me and millions of Americans around the country as we embrace liberty and freedom. This is the David J. Harris Jr. Show.